bringing the outdoors to your ears, this is Ramble On by Drift, a student publication at the University of Texas. Hey everyone, welcome back to Ramble On. I'm co-director Dossie Garcia and I'll be your host for this episode. Today's theme is... Halloween! We'll be talking about all things spooky, and some things that really aren't all that scary when you take a closer look at them. Whether you're looking to learn something new or just want to hear some stories that make your skin crawl, this episode's got you covered. I know you're probably thinking, Dacia, let's just get to the good stuff already. But before we do that, let's hear from the podcast team to see what went into covering these stories and maybe some of their own spooky tales. Hi, I'm Dacia Garcia. Hello, I'm Eli Lang. Hi, I'm Elizabeth. Hi, I'm Amber Williams. What's the backstory behind all of these stories? So my segment was originally going to be about the abandoned Coxville Zoo. And we went out there and explored for about an hour and a half in the woods. But we didn't find the zoo, which was very sad. So instead, we went on the street uh, and interviewed people about their um, any scary stories they would have related to Halloween. And people seem to have a lot of very interesting traditions, but... We didn't really find any amazing, scary stories, so it kind of evolved itself into a segment about people's traditions for Halloween. Since you didn't find any, like, super awesome scary stories from other people, do you have, like, a good scary story that you would want to share? When I was sleeping one day, I feel this little tickling on my arm, and I wake up and I'm like, what's that? And I thought it was a cockroach. And I got really worried because it's like, I read an article that apparently cockroaches can sometimes go into someone's ear and then it has to be surgically removed. So I get out my phone flashlight and I'm going like this. And meanwhile, they've like crawled off my arm and gone on the floor. And I point my phone down at the floor after looking around the room for a while. And it's a mouse. <gasps> and I'm like, oh shit, a mouse just climbed on me while I was sleeping. And my family, like... I feel not to be like, oh my god, we're so different, but we have like some sort of weird like sixth sense or whatever. And for me, it's like always like dreams and stuff or like not visions. Like it sounds weird. I'm not crazy. But um, this one time I was like going to sleep. This must have been in like sixth grade or seventh grade. I don't know what, but I was like going to sleep. Well, I was on my phone and it was dark. Like, you know how everyone does the thing you know on your phone before you sleep and then I guess I had like fallen asleep or I don't know what and then I like woke up and like for a split second I saw this like blue figure and it was of a man and he like looked like in pain and I had like never seen this person before and maybe it was something I saw on my phone I don't know but I was just like freaked out and then the next day my like best friend from middle school she like wasn't there and the teacher was like oh yeah like you know her uncle died and blah 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 and all of this and I was like bro like I swear to god like the way she described like the uncle like I don't know it was very similar and it, he died in like an accident or something and like obviously if you're in an accident like you would be in a pain or whatever and that just like freaked me out because I was like I've never seen this random blue figure any other time and I was like super close with her too so it was just like weird I don't know it was just really crazy I was going to recount a time um, 
when a scary situation happened at my family's farm, we were going to check on the chickens because there was a lot of cackling and squawking. And there's this chicken coop. My dad goes in and um, he says, all right, Amber, keep the door closed. So I, I close the door and I like do a really good job locking the door so the chickens won't get out. And then he goes in there and he sees a raccoon and the raccoon is trying to eat the chickens. And so he tries to like deal with the raccoon and get it to stop eating them. And then he looks around him and there's another raccoon behind him. And there's two raccoons and they're kind of both coming at him. And he um, decides he wants to leave the chicken coop now. But I had spent like the last minute tying like a really intricate knot, closing the latch really well. And so it took me a long time to undo it and the raccoons were coming. So I can imagine it was really scary for him in that moment. Um, For me, I was just kind of on the outside watching it all go down. But since then, we've shifted away from our latching method. So it's a lot faster and we're not locking each other in the coop. What do you want people to take away from the story? I think that Halloween has a very like mainstream image in the U.S. especially. And I just want people to take away that there are a lot of traditions. Uh, the, out of the three things that we shared, we have, we have one guy talking about Halloween in the U.K., uh, which is very similar to the United States. They have some slightly different traditions. We have someone of Mexican heritage talking about uh, their family kind of aspect of it, honoring the dead. And we have someone who does more of like a, uh, who's more into the spiritual. And so I think it's really interesting to just see that there's so many different traditions. And I hope that people are more open to either learning about or, or trying to spend time with someone of different traditions, not only for Halloween, but also for other hol- holidays and just, I guess, exploring other traditions more. I would just want people to know more about bats. I had no idea that there were so many different species of bats and they came in all sorts of different sizes and there were like a million of them living under the bridge. And knowing all those things just lets me kind of appreciate another little golden nugget of Austin. Um, So I just hope people can know more about that and be able to more deeply appreciate the town they live in. I want people to take away that, like, even if you do believe in the evil eye or you don't, I think, obviously, something we can probably all agree on is that, like, the way you treat people obviously, like, does have an impact or, like, the way people treat you, like, will have an impact on you and stuff. So it's just nice to to be nice. Don't be mean. Don't give anyone ojo. (laughs) Um, And there's also ways to ward it off. But, um, yeah, I think just, like, being aware of, like, the sort of power you have, whether that is something you believe in, like, this superstitious part of it but you have a lot of power and even just like a look you give someone there's a lot in the nonverbal side to who you are and stuff so first we'll be hearing from eli lang he shares the different ways ut students celebrate halloween okay there's no zoo over here I saw some photos of the sink of people exploring the zoo. Wait, so what if this is it? On Friday, October 14th at 8 p.m., my friends and I decided to take a walk through the woods. This wasn't just any walk. We were looking for the abandoned Coxville Zoo 
that was once there in the 1950s. Nice. Oh, uh, this is definitely souvenir from Missouri. Yeah. Yeah, it's Satan. It sounds like you're you're trying to imitate me now. So, after hours of searching, we didn't find the zoo. The podcast segment became a segment no more. So we took to the streets of UT to see what scary stories and Halloween traditions people have. For Tariq from the UK, many of the traditions are the same as in the US. So they'll fill the town centers with different rides. Some for kids, some for adults, scary houses, escape rooms. We also have trick-or-treating, um, but Fright Night's the big one for like teenagers and, and adults accompanying them. In the UK, Fright Nights are when groups of friends go out and scare someone they know in the community. Tariq seemed to have many stories of Fright Nights. Probably not any uh, ones that I can tell legally, but yes, there's been some scary ones. I think I can tell this one. So when we were 16, me and my friends were like friends with this shop owner who um, wasn't really used to Halloween and we wanted to like introduce him to it in a, in a British way. We had scary suits on. We came in, we ran in, just basically screamed at him. He was shocked. I don't even think he knew it was Halloween because his store was in like a quiet corner of a random street. He thought he was getting robbed. We knew the store owner, so it was like an Arabic street where they don't really do Halloween, right? And the store owner was Arabic, and me and my Arabic friends walked in there and gave him a bit of a fright and just ran out and then felt bad. So we walked back in and we were like, yeah, it's just Halloween. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of like the tradition, just scare people. While people like Tariq go out scaring or playing tricks on people they know, many think of Halloween as the day of the spiritual and the supernatural. In fact, people like Shay find themselves delving into the spiritual throughout the whole year. During the pandemic, you know, we all had our things that we kind of started getting into. And I would say I kind of fell into like witchcraft and Wicca. And ever since I've been practicing a bit, but I'm, I'm still new. Yeah, I do like divination, like tarot readings a lot and like do some spells, which is just, I don't know, like manifestations pretty much for a specific thing. Often, people do divination or tarot readings to gain insight into their future or to better understand their past. I think lately a lot with some of my tarot readings, they've been very, like, scarily accurate. Doing tarot readings usually consists of drawing three cards. Each card represents something about the person whose fortune they are telling. One card reveals something about the person's past, one the present, and one the future. When Shay was doing a reading for one of her friends, the fortune wasn't good. I don't know, a few months ago, I kept getting this one card, it's called the Ten of Swords, and essentially it just states that there's gonna be like a major detrimental moment upcoming. And I was like, oh no, like what could that be? And then something bad did happen. And then literally the next card reading I did, I got the same card, but reversed, which means that the detrimental thing is passed and you're moving on now, which I thought was a bit freaky. I was like, I've gotten that every single reading and then all of a sudden, this bad thing happened, and it's reversed. While people like Shay say Halloween is scary because you never know what spirits or bad fortunes may be lurking, others enjoy Halloween and the traditions that surround the holiday for a much more lighthearted reason, family. So like, we actually do do the Pan de Muerto on November 1st, and it's just really fun to like see that going on, but then also <laughs> being able to celebrate both holidays. I love Halloween, like it's just so awesome. 
Now is Miranda. She told us about her celebration of Dia de los Muertos, which is a holiday celebrated by many people of Mexican heritage. People honor their ancestors by visiting family graves, making altars for the deceased where they leave offerings or ofrenda in Spanish, or by just giving gifts and showing appreciation to friends and family. One common gift is an edible skull made of sugar that the gift giver decorates. With buy sugar skulls, like you'd be surprised. My sugar skulls have not gone bad. I'm gonna reuse the same <laughs> at my house. It's not like a huge ofrenda, but like something small, especially after last year. This year, Miranda thinks she will make new traditions because she's not living at home anymore. I feel like it's just a little harder. I think to keep my like hold myself to that same standard this year if I'm not with my family. But also You're like your family. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So like we can make new traditions here. Whether you enjoy Halloween because you can scare people, delve into the spiritual, make offerings to your ancestors, or just have a good time with friends. Halloween is a time filled with fun traditions. This year, maybe try something new. Or just have a good time doing whatever you do every year. For Ramble On, I'm Eli Lang. Up next is Elizabeth Jimenez. She tells the stories behind people's beliefs in El Mal de Ojo, a.k.a. the evil eye. It's a Sunday morning just past 11 a.m., and people start making their way back to their cars. I'm about three or four years old, and we're at church. My sister Monica, my mom, and I are following our semi-usual routine of going to Mass on Sundays. As we make our way out, the sound of footsteps against pavement adds a cadence to the birds humming outside. But there's something else that doesn't sound quite as harmonious as the other noises. It's Monica, and she's crying, like, really loud. But it wasn't because she was acting up in church or because she was tired or hungry. My other sister, Annie, says it might have been something else. She was, like, really crying and fuzzy, which is pretty unusual for her. Like, she's never really, like, a fussy child. So she gets to Grandma's. You know, it's Sunday, so we're going to have, like, pan de dulce and, like, you know, barbacoa or whatever. And she gets there, and Moni's just, like, crying and just really, like, not having it. And we can't figure out why. You know, Mom's like, I don't know, you know. She didn't have a fever or anything. But luckily, my grandma knew just what to do. Grandma laid her on the bed, and she was still kind of, like, crying and upset. And grandma started praying over her. And then all of a sudden, I mean, I was in the room. She has she lets out this big sigh, and she falls asleep. And she takes, like, this long nap. And when she woke up, like, maybe an hour or two, she slept for a long time later, uh, she was fine, you know. We both started playing. She was, like, running around, just like normal. And then we looked at the eye under the bed, and it had the eye. It was kind of like a little, you know, outline in the egg. For those of you who may not know what happened, let me explain. My family suspects that someone gave my sister what we call ojo. El mal de ojo, or the evil eye in English, is basically the belief that when someone looks at you with envy or even admiration— something bad can happen to you. Here's an easy example. Let's say we were eating lunch at the office, standing around making conversation, and I'm carrying a plate with a slice of pizza. 
You've been hungry all day, and for lunch, you have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and some chips. But the pizza looks really good. It's your favorite type of crust, and the smell makes your mouth water even more. You look down at your lunch, only mildly content at the taste peanut butter and jelly can give you. But you can't do anything about it, so you start to eat your sandwich. And I do the same. I go to pick up the pizza sitting on my plate. But wait, another friend comes to join us. And as the plate's in my hand and I turn my head to face our friend, the pizza slides clean off the plate and splats on the ground. No more pizza for any of us. So here, we would say that you gave me ojo. You wanted my pizza and then, coincidentally, something bad happened to it. Here's Annie again, explaining it a bit more. You also have to, like, touch the object or kind of tell them something because it you give off sort of this maybe like a negative feeling so like if you're wearing a really nice dress or something and so it's like oh I, you know that's a beautiful dress or if they don't tell you and then you drop something on it or i really like your shoes or you know you step on gum or something like that. like something will happen that your vision is so strong like your eyes are so powerful that they attract something negative to that person. Annie isn't the only one who believes in ojo. It's a popular belief in places like Mexico, the Caribbean, Latin America, West Africa, and the Middle East. And it's lived for centuries in different cultures and religions. But another thing that's remained alongside ojo are the different ways to heal or ward it off. Remember when we talked about my grandma praying over my sister with an egg? That's what we call a curada. And it's an age-old remedy for people struck by the evil eye. Here's my mom and Annie explaining what goes into a curada. You know, Grandma would get, she'd be like, well, a lo mejor te dieron ojo, and then she would get an egg, and then she prays over you, and it was a ro- the rosary. Like, and then you get palm leaves, and then you crack the egg, you put it in a, a bowl under the bed, and you put a cross for the palm leaves over it and then what happens with the egg it has an eye it gets like a kind of like an eye shape in the middle of the yolk mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if someone ended up giving you and i have seen <laughs> the eye on there that evil eye mm-hmm. so it's kind of like that mm-hmm. the yolk attracts the evil eye mm-hmm. and the bad energy is in the yolk and then you just throw it away eggs and palm leaves aren't the only way to ward off the evil eye One other way is to wear jewelry. You may have seen it around, but it's usually a dark blue circle with a lighter blue eye in the middle. And this is actually how Koi Bowie, a senior biochemistry major at the University of Texas, first encountered the evil eye. It was more of like an aesthetic aspect. I was like, ooh, it looks super cool. Um, And a lot of my jewelry ended up dealing with eyeballs and I kind of just like had an interest towards it. So my first thing was like a bracelet that One of my friends had brought me whenever she went on a trip. And then uh, I started getting some other stuff. Like I got some rings dealing with the evil eye and then... After getting different jewelry pieces, he decided to do some research on what the eye actually meant. After kind of getting into it in that aspect, I started to look into the deeper meaning. And I found out like in a bunch of like cultures, it kind of resonates with the idea like of warding off evil spirits or like if someone does like have ill will towards you, it'll protect you from that. But not everyone is a strong believer in the evil eye, like my mom. She disagrees, I agree. It's it's superstition. It's it's um, 
think of it as old wives tale, you know, like old wives tale. Uh huh. Like the if if a baby has hiccup hiccups, you put a little red thread on the forehead so the hiccup can stop. Um, that works. Okay, uh, all of that. It worked with y'all. Just... <laughs> yeah, that's not true. It's not true. But um, yes, it is. Okay. We're in an interview. <laughs> Even then, my mom still somewhat agrees with Annie on different aspects of Ojo. Uh, the, the mind is very powerful. I do believe in that. I believe that the mind is very powerful. And they both agree that eyes can say a lot. When you look at someone in the eyes, right? Mm-hmm. The eyes are the window to the soul? Are the windows to your soul. So, so think- that that person that is that is giving ojo or looking at someone it's like they're almost they're more in tune to like to that person's mm. feelings or soul koi feels the same he says he gravitates towards evil eye jewelry because eyes can communicate things that other physical features can't especially with my significant other i feel like i stare at eyes a lot uh it's kind of like putting myself into a different headspace, I guess, and it's usually pretty relaxing. Um, I feel like you can also just kind of tell how people are feeling by looking at their eyes, whether it's like someone close to you or not, you can kind of like get a feel for um, where their mind is at, if they're feeling uncomfortable, if they're happy. Koi says that warding off bad energy and having spiritual aspects to life is important to him, like saying a prayer before interviews. Um, I feel like it's important to me just for like its mental health aspects, honestly. Like I said, like it brought my mind a lot of ease before my interview. It's kind of like nice to just have something to fall back on if you do need it. I think its message can come across in a bunch of different ways for different people. And if you can just like find your way with it, then I don't know, you can stick with it. Annie says that it's also important for people to learn about the different aspects of their culture. You know, you could probably ask grandpa, you know? It's like those things that you want to learn, like culturally, that you should ask your elders because maybe, I don't know, I don't think it's a lost art, but I think sometimes those things kind of get lost if you don't, the next generation doesn't learn them. Annie hopes that other people outside of our culture learn about the significance of our traditions. I mean, I think it's just, it's, it's kind of, it's important to kind of, you know, be aware of it. I think in recent years, people are really interested in, like, you know, the Adelos de los Muertos and, like, very much like a Hispanic Latino culture. Um, and so there's a lot of parts to it, you know, not just, like, yes, the Adelos de los Muertos, and it's not just about, like, dressing up your face, you know, and, like, there's so much more richness behind just like I'm painting my face white and looking like a skeleton. You know, it's very beautiful and it's cool. And But I think that um, there's a lot more, um, you know, richness behind it. And it's it's cool, you know, when people want to know about it or people want to dress up as a, a Katrina or a Katrine. But really learning about the significance of, like, the marigolds and why you put food out and, you know, why you... Um, you know, or even the significance of getting curada. I think it's kind of cool for and important for people to um, know about because it's our culture and it's a, it's all over the world. 
and she says that learning and sharing a culture is a way to connect with other people too. Without people appropriating things, you know, I think it's good and nice. I think it's nice for other people to um, want to know about our culture and want to know what, why we do certain things and why we celebrate certain things and why we understand, you know, because about it's about you connecting with other people too and understanding maybe why they also uh, celebrate or do certain things as well. You know, I think it's about like not like a celebration of culture, yes, but also kind of like building community with other people. I think it's important to keep that those traditions alive because it's something that has come, you know, it's it's part of who we are. For Ramalon, I'm Elizabeth Jimenez. To close our episode, we'll hear from Amber Williams. She tells us how one of Halloween's most iconic symbols is actually not that scary. Bats. It's a warm October evening in downtown Austin, Texas. As the sun sets, crowds of locals, tourists, and families gather under a bridge by Lady Bird Lake. I was walking by and saw people staring up at the bridge, and I asked somebody why they were staring up. They are waiting to catch a glimpse of the Austin bats. The biggest population, or the most visible population, let's say, is definitely the Brazilian free-tailed bats at the Congress Avenue Bridge. That was Duncan Hicks. Duncan is a grant and membership coordinator for Merlin Tuttle's bat conservation. Duncan says the bat population under the bridge is big. And it can go up to as much as 500,000 to a million during the rearing season. Rearing season is a period between May and July when mom bats raise their young. Now, a million bats is a lot, but it wasn't always this way. Duncan says the bats first flocked to the bridge in the 1980s when the overpass was renovated. The slats in the bridge were exactly the right width for the bats to want to roost. That's why they all came in and stayed in this centralized location. But when the bat population rose, so did the public fear. There were people that were signing petitions asking for the bats to be completely eradicated from under the bridge. Uh, people thought that they were just full of rabies. They thought that there would be huge disease risks. But one man, Merlin Tuttle, thought people misunderstood the bats. Merlin is basically the godfather of bat conservation, and it actually started here in Austin. In 1986, Merlin left his job as a mammal curator and started his campaign to save the bats in Austin. He moved down here with 10,000 bucks in his pocket and did a bunch of staying on couches. He started telling people, this is the truth about what the bats are doing for you. And the truth is, bats do a lot of good things. Uh, for starters, they pollinate a lot of plants. So in this picture, you're seeing a bat who eats nectar, right? So it's about to stick its tongue into the center of that flower. That was Brandy Cristiano, a graduate student at the University of Texas at Austin. 
Brandy studies bats and shares her knowledge at public speaking events. I really try to talk to people, especially kids, about how important the bats are and why we need to think about them, uh, not just in, during Halloween time, but we need to think about them the whole year. There's a lot to think about when it comes to how bats impact the environment. And in Texas, they can save farmers about $200,000 per farm per year because they eat so many of those pests that the farmers don't have to apply as many pesticides. They can literally intercept migrating pest populations and cut them off before they can lay eggs or even get anywhere near the rest of the United States. Even though bats can help the environment, the CDC says that some bats can spread disease through bites or scratches. If you see a bat, definitely don't pick it up and try and save it. Call somebody that knows how to. But Brandy says that watching bats under the South Congress Bridge is safe. She says the best place to see them is on the lawn south of the river. And the best time... The best time of year is actually in October, which is perfect for Halloween. We went to the bridge to see the bats for ourselves. But at first, we could only hear them. What does it sound like? It sounds a lot like crickets, but, but maybe more like, uh, maybe like mice, like a huge colony of mice, but coming from somewhere up high. But then, as the sun set behind the horizon, the bats emerged. And they're coming out in droves now. It's really cool. Onlookers were surprised as thousands of little dark-winged critters fluttered out from under the bridge. I did not realize how little they were, and I did not realize they were in these tiny little cracks. That was Sarah Chapman, a visitor from Washington State. Sarah says it's not hard to find bats around town. I bought a Christmas ornament of a bat at the festival today, and they're everywhere. Everywhere you go, there's like little bats everywhere. And... Now. Thanks to the work from Merlin, Brandy, and others, bats have become a treasured part of Austin. There's a reason so many people walk and sit on the bridge for hours to see them. It's obviously something that Austin people love. For Ramble On, I'm Amber Williams. This has been Ramble On by Drift Magazine. Title music by Alejandra Gavilanes. Other music from Blue Dot Sessions. Britain edited and produced by Eli Lang, Elizabeth Jimenez, Amber Williams, and Dacia Garcia. We hope this episode got you excited for the upcoming holiday and gave you some cool stories to share with others. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.